good morning, everyone. You're welcome to just take a minute as you find a seat. Just a wonderful time of worship together. Hello to everyone online. You're all well. It's wonderful. It's wonderful to worship the Lord, isn't it? It really is. Someone, one agrees. That's wonderful. It's good to worship the Lord, right? Yes, it really, really is. Worship is just something that's very dear to our hearts. And, um, you know, it's, it's pretty much the reason why we, we were created was to worship Him. And, um, but we'll speak a little bit about that. Should we pray? I'm going to pray, then we'll get straight into the Word. And, um, yeah, actually, before I do that, I am um, sorry to point this out. But I'm, I never get to him. He often leaves soon. Jay, after the, after the meeting, I have a word for you. He's always busy and running. But um, if you're running, that's fine. But I just had a word for you. So, Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we can worship you. That you have made it easy, Lord, for us to gather and worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, we thank you for that. Holy Spirit, I, I pray the spirit of wisdom and revelation would rest on your people now. Lord, that you would open our hearts, that we wouldn't just hear with our intellects, but with our spirit, that you would hear, that you would pierce the heart with the truth of your word. And I thank you for transforming lives, for changing the way we think, for opening our eyes. We thank you, Lord. You know, before we get into the Word, it's just the Lord put this on my heart. I wonder, could we stand one more time? And um, could, could we pray for the nation? Um, just as, as, I'm, as I'm just praying, I just, just the nation on my heart. And so please don't just listen to me pray. You pray, you know. And, and I would encourage you, don't necessarily pray what you want to happen. Pray what He wants. And if you don't know that, just say that. <laughs> Can we do that together? Father, we lift this nation up to You. Lord, we lift the leaders of this nation. We lift the nation. Lord, You are the one who causes kingdoms to rise and kingdoms to fall. And Father, may Your plans and Your purposes be established. Lord, may truth be revealed. May things hidden come out. Lord, let, let the truth of Your Word pierce the hearts uh, Father, I bless all the leaders, the ones we agree with, the ones we don't, but we bless them, Lord. We bless them. We pray a blessing upon them because sending you in, Lord, is better than getting the devil out. Lord, we pray a blessing on those people. We bless them, Lord, and we pray for this country. Lord, we pray for this country. We, pray for, we thank you for how this country has stood and, and saved the world in my, I believe, many times. But Lord, may this country remain in your hand, and may it remain your country and your nation. Yeah, Father, we bless the leaders, the decision makers. May you encounter them. May you just shake them with the reality of who Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and that his plans and purposes will stand. Lord, we bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for partnering with, with us, even those online. I've been uh, in a series on kingdom warfare, and, um, you know, often I get into series, which is what we're doing now. We're doing a series on kingdom warfare. I had a bottle of water. And, um, and so, if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, I know I do say this sometimes, I encourage you to listen because it does build. Um, but who has, I know this, I can't see the hands at home, but who has not been here for the last two weeks? Great, not that many. So, um, so kingdom warfare. <laughs> Up to this point, we haven't really got so much onto actual, can I say, warfare, but my desire has been to present not how to fight or how much we fight, because there is a battle going on, but rather just the truth that warfare is happening all around us. 
I, I find that when people don't understand, and, and we're all growing, I understand that, but when there's a lack of understanding of the reality of spiritual warfare or kingdom warfare, and, you know, you say the term spiritual warfare, and people have a certain perspective of that, and um, often it, it needs to be, in a sense, scaled down to some of the stuff we've been talking about, um, but there is, I find it's helpful to see the truth of what's happening in the spirit realm way before we learn the tools of warfare, because just understanding that is warfare all by itself. And so we've been looking a little bit at kingdoms, three heavens, two kingdoms, strongholds. What are strongholds? Well, they have a stronghold. It's very simple. I was actually going to go over characteristics of strongholds this morning, but we may do that next week. But they are strongholds set up geographically all over the world, and we've we explained this, we've touched on this, and I encourage you to go and to listen. But whether we are aware of it or not, strongholds, principalities, your, who you really are as a believer is seated in heaven with Christ, and we don't live looking up. In Him, we're above that, but in Him, not by ourselves. And so submission becomes extremely important, extremely important. And, um, but it does have an influence on us. Whether we are aware of it or not, there is a warfare, and it does have influence. It does affect us. And that's why I've, in a sense, been doing a little bit that way, because we have to come to an understanding of the gospel of the kingdom, or the good news, gospel means good news, the good news of the dominion of our king. And that's why I said it's always the gospel of the kingdom, not just the gospel, because if it's just the gospel, that term good news, it's always about man us getting to heaven, us being saved. It's actually the good news of the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, which is actually more about Christ at the center than us. But we play a major role because he appointed us, chosen and appointed us as his ecclesia, which is the, the Greek word for church. And we went over that the first week. And what that means, it was never actually a religious term. It was a governmental body in Rome the ones that had, the, in a sense, the power arm to make the decisions and to execute the, 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 the will, the intentions, the heart, the values, the principles of the king. And that was done through personal relationship, intimate relationship. They used to get to know his heart. And so Jesus came and opened the way for us that we could get to know the heart of the Father and the heart of God so there wouldn't just be intellectual assent that through personal relationship we get, he opens and unveils his heart to us, and we become, in a sense, equipped to understand his intentions, his plans, his will, his purposes, and we begin with the authority that he's given us, which is delegated authority, to implement that across the world. Amen? That is a basic understanding of something of kingdom warfare. So 2 Corinthians 3, sorry, 10 verse 3 says... For we walk in the flesh, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. That's not flesh nature, as in sinful nature. That just means my physical body. I walk physically, but I don't war with carnal weapons. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down imaginations, that word logismos, it's where we get our word logic from, the reasoning and the logic of the heart. doesn't mean that logic is bad. Education is wonderful but it takes you only so far in understanding the things of the Spirit. Casting down imaginations in every high thing. Those are the high places all through the Old Testament, setting up strongholds, idols and stuff in high places that now is in the Spirit. And that, that phrase is ramparts and barriers. It sets up barriers to God's people. Uh, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So, we've talked a little bit about agreement and unity. Without understanding things like agreement, the enemy needs agreement to operate. He just does. He needed it all the way back in the garden. So, we looked at Matthew 18 in terms of there's two times that Jesus uses the word church, and one is Matthew 16, one is Matthew 18, and both times he throws out this stunning phrase, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And that has to do with the things that Christ has already won. It's not our choice. It's following his plan, his pattern, his intentions, his will, his purposes, like I said. 
But in Matthew 18, Jesus is actually teaching on forgiveness. And he throws out, we're to agree on earth. And we, they're, you know, we're to agree on earth, my Father will do what they ask. And so we see the power of agreement. The enemy needs agreement, and the Lord looks for agreement in order to enforce his will. Heaven looks for agreement on the earth in God's people to implement something. That's why obedience and submission is so important. But the devil also looks for agreement because he has none of his own authority. And so he looks for agreement to start to, in a sense, extend what he wants and his lies and deception. He looks for the agreement of people, and it comes in the thoughts, it comes in the actions of people. So there is the understanding, and I know we went over this last week, and I'm I'm trying to do this briefly, but the understanding of agreement between heaven and earth. Jesus said it in Matthew 18, we're to agree on earth. So there's unity here and agreement, if it lines up with heaven, things become established. But there's also the agreement and unity in the body of Christ, being one accord. Jesus is saying, he says, we're two agree, we're two, two or more gathered, and then binding and loosing. He throws those three statements out in Matthew 18, all one after the other. But the lesson, what he's talking about, is forgiveness. He goes into a parable of forgiveness. And he's trying to teach his disciples who are wrestling and arguing and fighting and who's the greatest and I want to sit on your right and I want to sit on your left, like teenagers, you know. And he's saying, guys, the release, the, the, the intentional release of authority that I'm going to give, to, I'm going to delegate authority to you, Matthew 28. All authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth has been given to me, therefore you go. I'm going to delegate authority to you. But the practical release of that authority is linked to the way you treat one another. So he's teaching on forgiveness, and then he talks about the release of authority, binding, loosing. It's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And so you see in Acts, they were in one accord. So there's that type of agreement as well. I know. But there's also the agreement for the individual, for us learning to find agreement in our hearts with the Lord. You can call it obedience, but it's actually... Yes, it is obedience, but it's agreement, submission. There's a picture they're going to throw up behind me. I don't know if they found it. Did you have it? Wonderful. That is a very, very, it's actually great theology because it it does happen like that in the mind. It really does. You know, the enemy comes with thoughts. He's the accuser of the brethren. And the Lord says, all my sheep will hear my voice. He opened the way for all people to have personal relationship. And so there's a bombardment. And they come through many, many voices, many ways. But that, Kronk, I think his name is, he's great. But it, it, it is, in a sense, what happens in people's personal lives. It's this constant two voices. And so Matthew 18 begins with, you know, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him. But then it says, uh, for, everything, for everything must be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. And that's a legal term. It actually means if your brother has anything against you, that you, you, can, you have prosecutable evidence before him in the Jewish court of law. And it's, it's not just going and telling someone, you've made me mad. No, you could actually prosecute him before the Sanhedrin according to the law of Moses. But instead, you choose to go to them and saying, my value for us, for fellowship, is more important than what you've done to me. Let's work this out. It's actually what it means. And then, (laughs) so it's very important, but there's another way of understanding, and it's all through the Bible, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established. So, you will have the enemy speak to you and you will have, in a sense, the demonic and the Lord will speak to you. The one you partner with is what becomes established. That's one witness and you're the other. Does that make sense? By the mouth of two or three witnesses. There's a witness, there's a witness, and there's a witness. So I hear something, whatever it is, you're silly, you'll not amount to much, you're stupid, or this deal's going to go like this, or this is, whatever, and then there's the Lord who is for you. The one you partner with and speak is what practically becomes established, because there's two witnesses, and it becomes established in your life. 
And every time that begins to happen in obedience to the Lord, the voice of your conscience, or we can say the voice of the Holy Spirit inside you gets louder and louder and louder because you come accustomed to it. Yeah? So, I didn't cover that last week. It's not what we're talking about this week, but I did want to go over it. Because what happens is we become people with renewed minds that can approve the will of God, as we spoke about. Because He begins to transform the way we think as we obey. A lot of people think obedience is correction. Obedience is extremely exciting because obedience means we can hear. And every time we obey, every time we partner with the Lord, things of His kingdom begin to be established in our life and in our heart. And it's always better than you think. It's not correct. It's always better than you think because He is for you. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here, John 18. And so what happens as, as we begin to become people with renewed minds, we begin to think different. We begin to speak different. We begin to act different. If, if people from another country, that totally different country, different world, should I say, come here, they don't speak the language, they don't look like us, it, it's, we, it's hard to communicate, right? Why? Because they speak different, they look different, they act different, so we learn to communicate. Believers have become citizens of another kingdom, of another country. And so it's, you know, it's as if people should, why do you think like that? Why, do you, why, why are you so different? Oh, well, I'm not from here. I've been born again. Now, obviously, this is weird if you said it to a person who doesn't understand, but it helps to think like that. Oh, I'm not from here. My citizenship is in heaven. I've been born afresh and brand new. I've been made new, and I'm seated with him. I'm from another place. So I think like that. I talk like that. I live like that because I'm, I'm not from here. Yeah? That's what it means to be a Christian. So I don't look like anyone else from here. Because my kingdom is not of this world. And we are his ecclesia, the governmental branch to advance the kingdom. So I, we don't look like, or speak like, or think like, or act like. You see, it's not, it's not sanctification, it's not God trying to make you better. It's God actually trying to make you you the real you, the one you became when you got saved. He's only asking us to die to the person we were never meant to become. Yeah? It's actually good news. It really, really is. So, kingdom warfare. We have not yet got into direct attack, you know, the direct assault in terms of warfare, like and I, I think I've thrown some up behind, things like the name of Jesus, the authority of the believer, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, intercession, warfare prayer. Like we haven't got into some of those things. And, and I'll tell you why we've been looking at agreement and strongholds. And because I've found when people are very trained, you know, firstly, I've said we don't want to focus on warfare. We don't. We want to become enamored with Jesus. But as we begin to understand it, I, I know this because this was true of me. When we start to be trained in all these big warfare tools, it's like we start to focus so much on warfare, but we don't yet know how to live free. You know, so warfare is always effort and hard work and difficult. And it's like it's only about dealing with a direct, maybe a demonic manifestation in front of you or, or something, this, thing, this struggle. And, and there is a part of warfare that is true like that, and we may get to that. But I have found that when you, when, when you can understand that there's something trying to dictate to you to the way to think, for the way to live, that warfare is just being a Christian and being set apart is learning how to remain free is so important. Because in the Old Testament, for example, they went into the promised land for 40 days, but they couldn't believe God, in a sense, to take them into there fully, and so they came back with a bad report. Who knows the story, right? So what did the Lord say? For every day you were in the promised land, I will cause you to be one year in the desert. So there are times people will say, I'm going to go to a spiritual warfare conference. Okay, great. And they learn all these like big tools 
the name of Jesus, which is really delegated authority, the blood of Jesus and how to deal with demons, and that's good. We need to understand that. But it's like we can go in and we can touch something of the promised land, but we don't yet know how to live free underneath even the stronghold that, that's dictating us how to think in our marriage and our thoughts and our hearts and our jobs. And, and so it's like it can cause people to go into the desert and be exhausted. They had to go into the desert for 40 years because they were held to account for every day they were in the promised land, but they couldn't trust God to keep them in there, to overcome the enemy there. They couldn't believe God for that. So they touched something of battle, but they weren't ready for that because they had to learn to become one. They had to learn to think like him, to talk like him, to learn to know him, to remain, in a sense, living a life that is free. Then they could go in. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. So... We may get to some of these things, and I know this why. I know this because I was taught these things. I saw God's power and God's demonstration, and so, you know, you get so fascinated by that because we all want God to use us, and then you forget about that, and you just love Him, but in that journey, it's like they can give you, He can give you tools and skills and prayers and how to deal with the demonic, and it's necessary but it became such a fascination in so many people's hearts, it's, it seems empty. It seems empty. There's not really a relationship with the Lord. There's not a walking with and a love relationship. And I know I'm living in the world, but I'm not of it because I've seen the deception of the enemy. And I'm not going to give him agreement in the way I treat my wife and the way I... I'm not going to give him agreement in anything. So I walk differently, I think differently, and there's a free life, there's a freedom that comes because of a love relationship with the Lord. And it's like then some of those skills and tools and things that God has given us become real. It's very, very important for us to understand. So anyway, I'd like to cover today, if possible, some spiritual weapons about what I'm talking about, things like love, praise, joy, and dance. Can we say joy? Joy. Yeah. It's very, very important. Could you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, please? Last week we ended in Ephesians 6, and we talked about the armor of the Lord, the armor of God, and what that actually is. I, I really, truly wish I could continue on that. There's, there's much more in that, in the armor of the Lord, the helmet of salvation and so forth, uh, the shoes of readiness. There's so much we could get into, and they are just amazing truths, um, but I want to get into 1 Thessalonians 5, and 1 Thessalonians 5 is actually very similar to Ephesians chapter 6 in some respects, but we're going to go, let's go to verse 8, and we're going to read, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love. You see, it's similar to Ephesians 6, breastplate of righteousness, yes, the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet... The hope of salvation. I must I'll quickly say this. Hope, biblical hope, is not like hope like you and I talk about. We say, oh, I hope this is going to happen. It's almost like a wish. Biblical hope is, I, it actually means the joyful expectation of good. But it's the joyful expectation of good that is linked to something that has happened in the past. So it can't be undone. That's what it means publicly. Something's already happened, and because of what's happened, I have a joyful expectation of what's coming. That's biblical hope. And it's coming because of something that's happened. That's what biblical hope is. And hope guards the mind. Hope changes the way we think. It guards the mind from the fiery darts and the lies. It guards the mind. You know those movies... Uh, how do I explain? You know those movies that, like, I can't think of any. They have, like, a futuristic world where they divide people into certain groups or it's, uh, there's, you know, a dictator and people have to live in a certain way. There's many movies like that. I think of Divergent, I think, is one of them. And those kind of films, maybe, what's that other one with that young lady? Hunger Games. All those type, it's like a futuristic and there's a dictator. In one of those ones, they're having, these two dictators are having a discussion 
and they're talking about how to control the people, but the people have started to rise up. And he says, we, we have to control the people, and he says, yeah, but they have hope. He said, no, well, we just need to control them with fear. And the, the wiser guy looks and says, you don't understand. When hope is present, fear doesn't work. It's, it's actually what the Bible teaches. When hope is present, fear doesn't work. We have to take the hope away, then we can use fear again. And so the helmet of salvation, the hope of the helmet of salvation, saves us from one of the chief weapons of the enemy. It's the most repeated command in Scripture. Do not fear. Do not fear. And it's got to do with the way we think. It's got to do with the transformation of the renewed mind, of the way we think. We can approve the will of God because we have hope in who's coming because of what He's done. So, but let us, of the day, let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. As we urge you, brethren, verse 12, to recognize those who labor among you, and are over you in the Lord, and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace amongst yourselves. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. See that no one renders evil to evil to anyone, evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. <laughs> Do not quench the spirit. You know, yeah, no, let's just read. Uh, Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. We'll stop there. 1 Thessalonians 5, it has some similarities to Ephesians 6, but it, it's not, people don't necessarily see it as a warfare, but it's these, I call them keys to freedom. When we begin to, in a sense, that when those things become a reality to us, revelation in the heart and then practical outworking, it actually helps us to be free, to live free, so that we can hold the sword of the Spirit that we can deal with the demonic, that we can actually use the tools of warfare. But first we have to learn, in a sense, to wear our armor and to live free and be able to move. You know that, for example, it talks about, in Ephesians 6, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, yeah? You know that word, word, is rhema, not logos. So the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, is the freshly revealed Word of God into your heart. It's not quoting a scripture at something. People say, well, give me a scripture. I'm just going to quote a scripture because I'm afraid. Or, who knows? It seems empty. Who knows what I'm talking about? It's, it's like, oh, it doesn't work. No person would ever pick up a sword in a sense if they've never used it and hold it, you know, in the middle of the blade. And they've been told, this is the thing that will destroy the enemy that's coming at you. So they're like, pick it up sideways and they're like, throw it at the enemy. And they're like, well, it doesn't work. There's nothing wrong with the sword. There's something wrong with the user. Yeah? So the Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God, the freshly revealed Word of God into your heart through relationship. It's become a part of you. Very, very important. And it's similar with these that I'm talking about. Things that become a part of you, we understand them, and I live free. Free from the strongholds and the principalities and the things that are trying to dictate the way I think and I live free. It really is wonderful. So, keys to freedom. From verse 15 to verse 22 is some of the shortest verses in the Bible, and they're just one after the other. Do not render evil for evil. Rejoice always. We'll talk about those two today. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecy. Test all things. Abstain from evil one after the next. And Paul says at the end, pass this around to all the churches. Teaching people to live free. To live free. 
So, let's start with this one. Do not render evil for evil. It says there, see that no one renders evil for evil. These are keys to freedom in the understanding of warfare. See to it that no one renders evil, to, evil for evil to anyone, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. When I read that, the Lord asked me a question, because uh, often I just go away and I just take time to study or to read as much as I can. And so, you know, you go to the scripture with the author, the Holy Spirit. And as I'm reading it, the Lord asked me a question. He said, can sin stop with you? It's a great question. <laughs> not all the time, because I'm not the Lord. But can sin stop with you? And what he means is when something is done to me, evil, do not render evil for evil. Why? It's not about you need to be perfect. It's understanding something of warfare. Because if sin done to me causes me to react or to, in a sense, sin becomes duplicated. It may not be the same thing, but something changes me. I get upset. I get hurt. I get offended, uh, whatever, and I start to react to something. Sin to me has caused sin through me. And so what happens? The schemes, as we've been talking about the last week, the last few weeks, the schemes, which is the word for mind, the enemy's thinking, the enemy has a way of thinking, he has a doctrine, the Bible says, he has methods, the Bible says in Ephesians 6, all of that becomes now duplicated through me, because something was done to me, and sin now it comes through me. But if sin can stop with you, so something's done, someone comes and does something to you, or hurts you, or says something about you, can it stop with you? is actually one of the greatest weapons of warfare. Can sin stop here? It doesn't mean you're a doormat, but can it stop here? Something's done to you, there's no, it stops. Why? Because I've seen the schemes of the devil, and I'm not going to partner with him. I'm not going to give him agreement. And my fight is not against flesh and blood. That's actual warfare more than binding and loosing and shouting, more than that, this, because you can be free. Yeah? And this is impossible without the understanding of love that God has. The Bible says love does not seek its own desire. Love is not selfish. And love never fails, 1 Corinthians 13. It says a lot about love. But the perspective that we have of love is so bent we, we are trained by the world, all of us. And I, I'm not above it. We are all the same. It's, you know, we're thinking, I'm falling in love. <laughs> uh, now I'm falling out of love now. Or I'm not sure if I love you anymore. That's all messed up, worldly, human wisdom that came from the garden when they fell. It says, if you, you, if you eat the fruit, Adam, you'll be wise. It, he would, but it's fallen human wisdom, which puts self in the center. And love, God's love, the love of God, has nothing to do with me. Nothing. It has to do with the object of whom I love, the object of my affection. That's actually the understanding of God's love. It, it's totally different from the way we think. There's a quote here. This way of understanding love is self-centered, twisted, messed up, foolishness of the world, it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God, but is bent and hinged on self and not love. It is impossible to love correctly with that type of thinking because there is no selfishness in love. And some people think, well, that's unrealistic. I, I understand that's the human mind. That's ridiculous. But actually, that's Jesus. That's the Lord. To love that way. Do not render evil for evil. It comes when God speaks to you about love in the heart, and he sheds abroad the love of God in your heart, the Holy Spirit, Romans 5. It says he pours out, he sheds abroad in your heart the love of God. Not human love, his love. He puts it in your heart for people. And but we were all trained, we were all trained by the world's way of thinking, and he doesn't see it like we see it. So we come to God, we're under a situation, we say, God, we need freedom. You know that sometimes the solutions that God gives is not to change the situation, but to change you, but to change me. He changes us, and the situation no longer affects us. And then you're free. Hello? 
you know, it's just not a heavy, it's good news. I tell you, there's such a freedom of understanding love this way and allowing God to speak into your heart about love like I love. People say, you know, Lord, change my spouse. You know, my boss, my children, Lord, get a hold of them. I heard this funny story, some of you may know. Uh, it's a wonderful couple from this church. When she, she suddenly had a revelation about authority in the home and the man is the head of the home. And she tells this amazing story that, wow, she, God really spoke to her. She says, so I went and prayed. And we all thought she was going to say, I went and prayed, Lord, help me. She said, Lord, take him. Just take him. You know, it's, that's awesome. it's just funny. So, but we say, Lord, you know, change my spouse or, or change my boss or change these people. Can I say, you know, stop that. I, I mean that with all the love in my heart. I'm not talking about abuse or trauma or praying for the broken person. I, I'm not talking about that. Because what we're doing is we're setting ourselves up to living in reaction to how they are doing or how they aren't doing or things they should do or things they shouldn't do. And even our spiritual life gets so focused on that that they're actually become our Lord. I can only do well when they're doing what I think they should be doing or when that person's acting like I. And our whole world becomes consumed like that. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. That really is not freedom. <laughs> yep, you know, do not render evil for evil is actually a form of warfare. It really, really is a form of warfare. Because often our biggest problem is ourselves. And I'm not talking about getting introspective. and That doesn't help. I've never been introspective and left encouraged, ever. I focus on the Lord and I get encouraged. But self-centered living is actually outside of the new man. It's outside of why I'm here. It's outside of who God made me. It's something on the outside. It's not not part of who I am. So, someone said this, God, I say that you are the great potter. You know, like God is the potter, we are the clay. He said, I say, God, you're the great potter, but actually I'm being fashioned by everyone else <laughs> because I'm living in reaction to all, everyone else around me and I'm getting upset. So they are like pottering and fashioning me. Okay, I think we'll move off this point. But it's so real, friends. It's so real. And this is what I'm saying. You get people, they bind and loosen. But actually, love, love never fails. Never fails. Love is not, does not seek its own desire. Love of God. The love of God shed abroad in the, in the heart. That is freedom. Genuine freedom. Doesn't mean you're a doormat, just do whatever. No, you stand for truth. You stand for truth, you st but not, we are not against people. People are not my problem. We don't fight flesh and blood. <laughs> but the principalities and powers. There's such a freedom in this that when people hurt you, you can actually begin to pray for them, for God to encounter them and change them and set them free. It doesn't matter how they've treated you. You actually pray for them. That's love. Yeah? All right. That went down well. <laughs> I want to follow Jesus. I really do, friends. I want to follow Jesus. And he was reviled and persecuted against, but he says he opened not his mouth. I want to follow him because he has all authority. And authority is attached to love. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out fear. That type of love dispels the enemy. It, the enemy cannot come around you. He runs six ways from Sunday because he's walking into someone that has the love of God in their heart and has understood it and is expressing it. The enemy will run from that person without a fight. No fight. He just runs. That's warfare. That's real warfare. So now, praise joy, and dance. This is actually what I wanted to talk about today. But obviously, I'm not going to be able to get through it. But praise, joy, and dance. The Bible says a different, another key to freedom. Rejoice always. <laughs> Rejoice always. 
So praise, joy, and dance. I, I always look for the grace of God or New Testament in the Old Testament. Always look for grace in the Old Testament. Someone in a sense that knew God so well that broke out of the covenant they were in and began to model something that was coming. Whenever I find those, I get, I get very excited. And you see that with David. And you actually see it with a bit with Nehemiah, which we'll get to by the grace of God. But you see it with David. He sets up, he takes, he establishes something called the Tabernacle of David. Now, if you've been in this church for any length of time, I did a six-week series on it recently. I love the understanding of the Tabernacle of David. But obviously, I can't recap all of that. But David takes the ark, and he puts it in a tent, just a tent. And he did something that was against the law. The law in Leviticus said only the priest can go to the ark once a year without, and has to have blood. Right? And so David takes the ark, he brings it into Israel, he sets it in a tent, not like a tabernacle with all the stuff, just a tent. And the ark, the, the tabernacle system of sacrifice that Moses instituted was six miles away on another mountain. So for the first time in history, you have two tabernacles in Israel. And the ark of God is not there, it's here. Where people could come in and worship, in a sense, and have proximity to the presence of God. It is a New Testament prototype of worship. The veil was not there. Jesus was the veil torn. The veil was not there. I mean, it's a crazy thing that David did. It's like he had prophetic permission, even though it was against the law. And he sets this up, and they worshiped with musical instruments 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, 24-7 for 33 years, the exact length of Jesus' life. Talk about a prophetic declaration. And he sets up worship, musical worship. Up until that point, all worship to God was sacrifice, a sacrificial system. That was their worship. And in that period of David's life, in that time of Israel, the seven Hebrew forms of praise are actually born. The seven Hebrew words for praise. Halal, Yada, Toda, Zamar, Shabak, and Barak, and Tehillah. We've gone over this. So... One of those forms of praise, they mean, one of them mean like as a child would reach its arms out to the Father. It's actually one of the forms of praise. One of them means to shout. One means to kneel. One means to, to extend your hand, to exalt, to extol, to lift up, to lord, all these different meanings in English. But the one that is, seems so precious to the Lord is this one, Tehillah. Tehillah is the the, the fresh bursting forth of song that comes from the heart, from the person. It comes up in the heart and starts to worship God. And in the New Testament, it's like a prophetic song. The Bible calls it a new song, a new song. And David establishes this for the first time ever, ever. And they start, even the, the name of the book of Psalms in the Hebrew is Sefer Tehillim, the songs of Tehillah. So they were all songs that came out of a person's heart. They were not these written, and then we go sing. It was songs from deep inside that poured out of the heart through the prof, to the prophetic. And they were all recorded, and they became psalms. Now, I know the tabernacle of David was also about establishing the throne, and the government of God, agreed. But Amos 9 says, in the last days, in the last days is a period of time that began at Pentecost. We are in it now. He says, in the last days I'll rebuild that tabernacle of David. It, was a, it modeled New Testament worship to come into the presence of God and worship from the heart with musical instruments. David brought all of that in, all scriptural, with mu actual musical instruments. So I've, I've taught a lot on that. We won't have time to get into that. But the understanding of that is important. Even in Acts chapter 15, uh, with the, they meet as, as a council and they talk about it is now time to rebuild the tabernacle of David and they're describing the New Testament church. So worship, praise, praise. There's only one word for worship in the Hebrew and that's literally bowed down flat to the ground. That's real worship. But praise, this tehillah, this bursting forth. So you see, they establish this praise but now how do you turn praise into a weapon? Very important. Are you guys still with me? I know today is a little bit teaching, but it's actually very good for you. 
I'm trusting this helps. Psalm 149, if you can go there quickly. What they learned, and it's established in the New Testament, is praise is like a weapon. Every time you see, you know, Psalm, uh, Psalm 22 verse 3 says, God inhabits the praises of His people. Other, another translation says God is enthroned upon the praises of Israel. That word praise is that form to healer. God's presence will always be there when we worship, when we exalt, when we extol. But He inhabits differently this tehillah from the heart, this prophetic bursting forth of a new song. Every time you see that in Scripture, it has a profound impact. In Isaiah 42, it says they were singing, they were worshiping, and uses all the words it says, but then they started to praise. The word is tehillah. And it says God arouses himself like a man of war and shatters the enemy. When we understand praise as a weapon, it is God's strategy, warfare strategy, to how to change a region. It's not just about experiencing him in, in a service. How to change a region, it comes from praise. It does come from praise. You see it in Psalm 149. I'm just going to read it to you. Praise the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song, and his praise, that's Tehillah, in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Let them praise his name with the dance. Let them sing praises to him with the timbrel and harp. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. Yes, warfare and a two-edged sword in their hand to execute vengeance on the nations. Now, it's not, you know, Old Testament natural, New Testament. Spiritual, all right? To execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. In the Septuagint, that's similar wording in the Greek to principalities and powers. To bind their, noble, their, their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. To execute on them the written judgment. How's this? This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. For God's people, this, and can I, can I just be real? When I've taught on this, when I speak about this, people go dead. It's like a blank stare. And, and that's okay. Why? Because it's so far from my expression in the body of Christ today. It is the Bible. God has given praise for us to understand praise biblically. And what that can do, it's not that we, in a sense, praise God just to use Him. No, we actually praise Him. It's from the heart. It's, oh, Lord, I love you. It's, we sing our own song, new songs, and all of these kinds. When we praise that way, when God's people, this honor have all his saints, when God's people come together, we actually start to bind and pull down strongholds, kings and nobles, over regions. Very important to understand. It's praise. It's not this, ah, Jesus' name. That can do that, but it's actually praise. Why? Because God is enthroned authority upon the praises of his people. The authority of Christ begins to be seen by those who are now blinded. When the body of Christ in a given area begins to understand this and begins to worship and praise biblically. Who of you have ever heard a worship leader say, let's, let's pray or let's worship over the city? Right, who's heard that? And people are like, oh, what do we do? And they just start singing the song again. You're like, okay, why? That's what they're talking about. We can actually enthrone God. He's enthroned to understand. We can, he inhabits those, that type of praise. He makes his presence made known. And the more you do that, it expands something in the region, in the spirit realm, and it begins to pull down. The, it's causing the way people think, the way people see, the way people make decisions, the way they treat each other. That begins to be dismantled through praise. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> Thank you. But it's very important. You can go look at 2 Chronicles 20. I won't get there. But then you look at joy. I'm going to quickly cover this. Can you guys, I'm going to take about another seven minutes to cover this because it's so important. Go to Nehemiah chapter 8. 
Nehemiah chapter 8 is another time in the Bible that I, in my opinion, you see like a New Testament expression, a New Testament expression in the Old Testament. I'll give you the, well, let's just go read it. I'm going to read from verse 5 to verse 12. Joy. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen and Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, Joshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbatai. Okay, these are great names if you're looking for baby names. It's great names. And then it says, and the Levites. And help the people to understand the law. <laughs> help the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read, the Levites through Ezra, they read distinctly from the book, the Torah, in the law of God. And then they gave the sense. In other words, they would read and explain, read and explain. And help them to understand the reading. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, Ezra the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still. For the day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and greatly rejoice, and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Okay, what's going on here? They came out of exile, and most of the people standing there had never heard the scripture. They were in exile. And they came out, they'd never heard this. They were so far from the Lord. They've been in exile in a foreign land. They come out, and Ezra stands up and reads the law to them, and they start to weeping and crying. Why? Because they saw how far away they were from the Lord. So their response is, ugh, weeping and crying. And the, Levi and the, people and the leaders say, no, 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 don't, don't cry. It says they, they understood the words that were declared, and their reaction was, oh, I can never do that. I, we're so far from weeping, mourning. And the Lord, in a sense, adjusts their reaction. Say, no, don't, don't mourn. Why? For the day is holy. And if we can understand, people think of holiness and they think serious. At times, there is a soberness. I understand that. But this is one of the keys that the Lord has given to his people. He says, don't mourn, for the day is holy. Actually, go home and, in a sense, have a party. Have a feast. Now, it was the Feast of Trumpets, which I don't have time to get into. But go home and have a feast. Eat the fat, drink the sweet. In other words, have a big meal. Have a party and have fun. Enjoy and rejoice. And if your neighbor doesn't have the ability or have the money, give him stuff so that he can do it too. He says, why? Because the day is holy. And it says, then they went home to rejoice Right? Because they understood the words that were declared to them. So it's, it's, it's so important. And the Lord, in a sense, is saying to them, don't mourn. Why? Because you need to rejoice. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. You are going to make a journey, and you're going to need joy to encourage you and strengthen you to make the journey. You're mourning and weeping. Great, but it's not going to encourage you. It's not going to empower you. So actually, go home and have joy. Joy is so important to the Lord. Yeah, in the Old Testament, that's a New Testament-like expression. It's so important to the Lord, he says to them, schedule joy. Like, put it on the calendar. Like, for real. Go home and, like, schedule it. You, you go home and, and schedule joy. Think about it. Make a plan. On this day, we're going to have joy. I mean, it, it's crazy, but that's what he told them to do. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Bible, Jesus talks about to be filled with the fullness of joy. The Bible says that, um, actually I think I wrote some down. Joy is a key to strength. In the presence of God is fullness of joy. There's joy that sets free. The Bible says there's joy that's like medicine. It was partly something to do with joy that gave Jesus endurance on the cross. 
for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's, there's something about joy in the spirit realm. It's not happiness. It's joy, the joy of the Lord. And I heard someone say this many years ago, and I've made up my own. You've heard me say it for a long time. In the kingdom, in the world, you rejoice or you have joy in a sense. Actually, how do I say it? In the world, you rejoice when you have a reason to rejoice. You rejoice when you have joy. You rejoice. Why? Because something's happened. In the kingdom, you rejoice in order to have joy. Very important to understand. In the world, you rejoice when you have joy. In the kingdom, you have joy because you rejoice. There's a command in Philippians 4, rejoice always, and I say it again, rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. It, it's, not a state, it's not a suggestion, actually. It's a command. It means it's not just a supernatural experience that you, happens to you sometimes. It means it's within the ability for you to make a will, to, to choose it from your will. It's within the ability for your will to choose it. Otherwise, you wouldn't command it. Choose joy. Schedule it. Choose it. And it is within the ability for you to actually choose it. <laughs> it's within the reach of your own will. Now, it doesn't mean, so, okay, so what do I do? Do I go stand in the corner and pretend to laugh? I mean, that's weird. Like, like what do I do? Because he, he says, well, actually, he says, go home and choose joy. Schedule it on the calendar and cause yourself to rejoice. Now, the choice of joy, to choose it, is only accessible through the expression of praise and dance. <laughs> yeah, all through the Bible, joy is linked to praising and dancing. So you'll get a person stand up here that's all about the Word and the Word and the Word, which is good, and he says, you know, the Word is important. I, I agree, absolutely. I've said it last week. At some point, we have to make a choice as God's people. Do we bend our lives around the Word or do we bend the Word around our life? We have to bend our lives around the Word. All through the Bible, okay, this is going to stretch some of us, dancing, like physical dancing, is the way to choose joy. Make a choice to have joy. It's not going and trying to laugh. That's weird. It's, I'm going to, I understand praise as a weapon. I understand praise as a way to enthrone my king in a region, in my family, in my heart. I understand that, Lord. Thank you for showing us that. The tabernacle of David released in the last days on the earth. This is the New Testament pattern. Thank you, Lord. I'm going to praise. There will come times where it is the last thing you feel like doing. The Bible says a garment of praise, garment has to do with identity, for a spirit of despair or a spirit of heaviness. So, okay, so now I have something that's causing me depressed, anxious, heaviness, these things that are happening, things that are happening in the nation, things, I'm all anxious, I'm all in my mind. Yeah, so don't weep, don't mourn, the day is holy. Choose joy. Schedule it. Literally schedule it. And it can be expressed through choosing with your own will. It's within the ability of your will. Within your reach, I can choose it. And it'll come through the expression of joy and dance. I'll tell you a story, then I'll be done. I know I went a little long this morning. Thank you for your grace. I went away. This is going to sound very super spiritual. I don't have the time to make it sound better. I, I, I went away two, three weeks ago to pray for five days. I went up on a mountain, and I try to do that every year, and it's been a few years. And so I went away, and the first couple days, you know, you pray for two hours, you pray for three hours, you pray for three hours, different, like, portions of the day. And I prayed for two hours, and then I prayed for three hours, and that's praise and, you know, praying and intercession and so forth. And no matter what I did, it was like concrete. Who knows what I'm talking It's like concrete. There was such warfare going on that as I would pray something, I would forget what had just come out of my mouth. 
and, and it's hard to explain, but as it would come out, I would have no memory of what I said. Extreme warfare. I was praying for you guys. Praying for the church, praying for my family, praying for the region, for the, just praying to, in a sense, break open into heaven so that there's, there's no barrier and I can hear clearly. And two days like that, three, you know, three or four hours or whatever, a couple times a day, and nothing. It was like, does God exist? You know, that kind of warfare. Well, three days goes by like that, and then I think, okay. So I put a big blanket on the floor, and I said, God, I'm not leaving the blanket until we have breakthrough. Well, after three and a half hours, I'm there, nothing. It was literally, I felt like I was in a concrete, spiritual concrete block room, nothing happening. And I'm praying, and I'm praying. So eventually I said, Lord, you know, you're good. It's got nothing to do with you. You're good. I'm righteous because I know you've made me righteous, and I couldn't feel like there was an issue in my life that he was trying to reveal. So I said, Lord, I'm not going anywhere <laughs> until breakthrough comes. And this little, that inner voice, like with Elijah, wasn't the, it was this, he said, son, it's not going to change until you dance. And I thought, dance? <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, hmm. You know, like, hmm. So, because I'd, I'd done all the things, as Josh loves to say. I'd done all the things I knew how to do. I had the, done the binding, the loosing, the, the, you know, all the warfare stuff, the declaring, the proclamation, this is who you are, God, the warfare. And I, I know that stuff. I grew up in that stuff. I dealt with the demonic even there. I'd, I'd done all the things that I knew how to do, and nothing was moving. And so the Lord said, son, you've got to dance. Now, there I am. You know, I'm not like this tiny little dude. <laughs> and so I'm like, all right, so I don't know how to dance. I, I, I'm a terrible dancer. So I just start to dance like a weird guy. And I, I'm just being honest. And I start to jump. And I think of the scriptures of David. He danced for nine miles when they brought the ark of the Lord in. For nine miles. And he had an ephod. And just a linen ephod, nothing else. And it was literally flying up. And his wife was like, what are you doing? She got all upset and offended. He said, I will be more undignified than this because the presence of God is coming back to God's people. He said, I will dance, he said, and I will play music and I will be more undignified and humble myself because of the desire for breakthrough. So I began to dance. And I danced and within five minutes, it was like heaven invaded that place. I tell you, it was like he was standing next to me. The presence of God was so powerful because I danced. There are weapons of warfare that are not cultural. Will we bend our lives around the word or will we settle for just bending the word around our lives? I had to dance. And I, I mean, I just jumped around. I don't dance. I literally, and I thought the Bible says David whirled and twirled. It says that. So I started to do that. And I mean, you know, and I got so excited by the Spirit. I started to shout, you know, and I'm heavy. And I'm thinking I was in an apartment. I'm thinking the poor people underneath me, you know, I don't know, up on a mountain. And I'm jumping and shouting and for half an hour. And I'm soaked with sweat, you know. And then I sit down. But then it was like everything you say, you get, it's like heaven's in the room. It's a weapon of warfare to praise and to dance with joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For our weapons are not carnal, but they are mighty in God. There are things in warfare that will really humble our flesh. And we'll, we'll leave it there. Can we stand? I know today was a lot. Do not render evil for evil to anyone, but pursue good for all. That's love. The love of God 
it's not something that comes through intellect. It's, Lord, change me so that I'm free. A lot of warfare will stop at that point because the enemy runs. Fear runs from love. Perfect love, Kassav. He will leave you. You don't have to fight. Rejoice always. <laughs> Two lines. An hour. Thanks for grace. Father, we thank you for your word. My prayer, Lord, is that people will, the people in earshot, will take it into their heart and actually do it in their life. And then as a body, we will find it in our hearts to become comfortable with what your word says, not what the culture says. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.